I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. Today, we have Jamie Schreier back on the pod, and he is a physical therapist, previous practice owner, and business coach, and more at Practice Freedom U. And today we're talking about recruiting and hiring and then eventually training, onboarding and retaining top talent or hopefully top talent. Jamie, what's going on? Oh, man, it's all good. They appreciate being invited back, man. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. A lot of practice owners I speak with behind the scenes, different Facebook groups right now in 2023 and even last year, 2022, it seems like the biggest challenge for physical therapy practice owners, outpatient rehab therapies across the OT, SLP, every practice owner is saying that they're having a challenge with hiring. So it's like, where are all these therapists going? Are they all going to work for hospitals? Um, what's, what's going on here? So that's why I wanted to get you on here. We're going to talk about recruiting and hiring and retaining talent. Um, just as a kickoff, any just initial thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I see the same thing. And, um, you know, if we really kind of dissected that for for a moment is 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 the problem really recruiting and hiring or is the problem that these companies are not profitable and maybe they're not profitable because they are not hiring the right people or they're not hiring any people and they're kind of stuck and not in the growth mode so because they can't hire so maybe this is a problem within a problem or something like that but we can dive into some of that some of that Jamie psychology stuff. But yeah, it's certainly uh, the thing that I hear uh, more often than not. For sure. And so we talked about this a little bit in the pre-interview, but if you're watching, you're listening, if you're watching on YouTube, Jamie may put up some slides, but regardless of where you're watching or listening, this is for you. If you're having a difficult time finding candidates to apply for your new jobs now, so it could be front desk, it could be staff, staff therapist, whatever it might be. This is also for you. If you can't afford unrealistic salary expectations of therapists, or you've hired therapists in the past and they've left your practice for higher paying jobs or better paying jobs. Also, if you have urgent staffing needs, but recruiters are too expensive, we'll maybe touch on that. And also, if you're not sure if right now is the right time to hire a therapist. So what are some of the challenges that you see with this? Is it with practice owners that you're saying they might not have a profitable practice? That's obviously a huge, probably overlooked area. It's almost like day zero with that because most of the therapists or practice owners that I've spoken with, it's more of like they'll put up a job posting on LinkedIn or Indeed or ZipRecruiter or something like that. And they may or may not get some applicants. So are certain things, should practice owners be reviewing their whole process and their practice health before they even get into this? Like, what are they overlooking if there's some stumbling blocks here? Well, I would take a step back first, Dave. And, you know, I'm working with several clients right now. I have private clients and then we have clients in our coaching program. And, and hiring is a, is a real big one for most of our clients. And, you know, if you kind of step back, 
most of us hire out of reaction. We hire because someone unexpectedly left. We got the notice on Monday for some reason. It always seems to be Monday. You get the notice. Hey, I'm leaving. Then they give you a whole two weeks, like, you know, especially when it comes to therapists. And then we go into reaction mode, like, oh my God, we need somebody. And that right there is one of the biggest issues because when you hire based on reaction, many times you will overlook things, overlook things that are obvious when the person leaves. You're like, you know, they were always like that, but you're in this kind of desperation mode. So one of the things that I teach my clients is to create a hiring process, right? A hiring process that I was just having this conversation the other day, a hiring process slows you down. And it doesn't mean this hiring needs to take a long time because it doesn't. But what it does is slow you down from being in this reactive, perhaps making bad judgment decisions with people because you're desperate to fill in the void. And it is way too expensive to just put someone in place because the amount of money it takes to hire them, onboard them, and train them, and then if they leave and then to find someone else is significant. So that's kind of where I want to start with the people that are listening or watching is, do you actually have a hiring process? And there is a slide I want to share, if you don't mind. Sure. I put this in there, have a hiring process, just to give kind of a visual for people. The way I look at a hiring process, and again, I'm a, I'm a pretty simple person. I like things simple. I like things easy because uh, we are very good at overcomplicating the living daylights of things. So my hiring process is recruiting, right? Or attracting, qualifying, which is another word for interviewing, onboarding, which is onboarding, and then training, which is training. So just by having this perspective around hiring, Hiring isn't just about interviewing and having them sign agreement. That is only half of it. For me, someone is not fully hired until they are trained in actually achieving the targets, the results that I want for, let's say, a therapist. So too many times I'll say, you know, did you hire a therapist? Yeah. How are they doing? Well, they're coming along. Well, how long has it been? It's been six months. I go, six months? They're not hitting your the, the targets. Let's say if it's a typical outpatient orthopedic place that it's two patients an hour and you expect them to see 60 visits a week and they're at like 45. Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense to me. So we have to be clear on what the outcome is of the hiring process. For me, the outcome is when the person is fully onboarded, fully trained and actually achieving the results. So having a hiring process, having the steps, having it all outlined and clear is step number one for anybody that is having difficulty hiring people. Got it. So the qualifying process also just like not just interviewing, but reference checks and all the things that would be making sure that you're catching any yellow flags, red flags, kind of like qualifying them in and out. That's yeah, I mean, to the offer. Yeah. So the qualifying process leads up to the offer. Now, you, you mentioned reference checks. Reference checks can go really either way. I personally do reference checks even now. I do reference checks in the onboarding stage with the caveat 
if something glaringly comes up, yeah, you're gone. But I don't necessarily do it in the, in the early parts of it because 99 out of 100, there's never really anything there. I say that. And of course, I have a story that I did hire someone back in the day that actually had an issue in another state that he never disclosed. And I didn't do, I didn't have any process in place. So there was no checklist to do a reference check. And turns out that he had, uh, was on probation for something. And that was a little bit of a S, S show, as they say. But yeah, more or less what you're saying. For me, the onboarding process really starts with the acceptance of a offer. Yeah. And before even putting up these job postings, these job listings, what I've learned to do, and I'm assuming you probably help your clients with and in the audience, if they're not doing this, they certainly should, would be documenting this, right? Like documenting this whole process in like a Google Doc in terms of like, here's what the ads are, here's here's our process, here's the checkpoints. Because if you're taking a candidate through those checkpoints, then you're more likely to follow the process that you're talking about and not miss or overlook some of the things because you're in desperation mode. So if you have that process and actually stick to it, and also what helps me is sharing that with the candidates up front. Like here's exactly like, it's going to be a 15 minute phone screen. And then it's going to be, cause we're remote. So then it's a zoom call. It's going to be probably 30 to 60 minutes. And then after that, it's going to be an in-person meeting where they evaluate me in person. So it'll be like some condition, you know, knee pain, back pain, whatever they'll evaluate me. And that's kind of like the in-person evaluation. And then it kind of goes on from there, but like sharing that with the candidates to, so that they get clarity as to like, here's our process. Is that something that you see therapists or practice owners like missing or, or kind of just winging? I've never met a therapist, an owner that didn't have a process. The problem is the process is kind of all over the place and it's not used. So the simplest way to do a process is just have a checklist, right? A checklist is a process. And what a checklist does is, yes, it slows you down, right? It makes sure you don't miss anything. But the other thing a checklist does, it allows you to enlist help. Too many times as owners that I've seen, whether they're businesses like half a million, million, or, or even more, the owner's involved in so much of it. And it's because the steps aren't clearly outlined. Who does what by when? When you have a checklist, you can easily determine who does what by when. So it's like who puts up the ad, right? And when does that happen? So if someone leaves, it's like, okay, we're in the, you know, we're in the process of, of hiring. Let's get the process sheet out. All right. Step one, review the previous ad and then post the ad on XYZ. All right. The owner doesn't have to do that. Anyone can do it. It's just a task. So that's just one example. Another example would be resume review. That would be a task. Another example would be a, like you mentioned, a phone interview or an in-person interview, or is the job description there? Is the offer letter there? Did they sign the offer letter? All of these are individual tasks that allows you to have someone else helping you out. So this process continues to move along, but there's not the emotional angst. We get in trouble as human beings when there's a lot of emotion. As the saying goes, when emotion is high, intelligence is low. And we make bad decisions when we're in a high emotional state. And I don't know too many emotional states, maybe money is one, but I don't know too many other high emotional states than the desperate need for 
to hire someone, especially if someone quits. Got it. Now, I have uh, a few questions from some of the uh, the audience from over the past week or so. So there was a physical therapist practice owner named Rob in Pennsylvania. He was asking on the front end, so the the awareness part, the recruiting side, if you have any thoughts on ZipRecruiter, Indeed ads, LinkedIn ads, things like that, or any other platforms that you see practice owners using the most that are that are yielding like the best results or the yeah. most efficient, the most efficient candidate uh, amounts. To be perfectly candid, it's different for different people. Uh, some people say, "Oh, Indeed's great." Some people use some, you know, state associations or or APTA associations. Some people are like, "I love using LinkedIn. I connect with people." And, you know, I ask them, hey, we're looking for someone. If you know of anybody, of course, they're looking at them as well. So people have had a lot of success with that. People have had success with going back to previous students that they've had. That is a huge one because, you know, things are always changing just because they weren't interested uh, a year or two ago. They might be interested now. Plus, they have a network. The key is get your job description and get your job post in as many eyeballs as possible. So the question you always ask is, where is your ideal candidate hanging out? Where are they? Because it's different. They might be in certain groups. Uh, if they're brand new, they might be in a, a school, you know, school board or something like that. So I think that's important. But you know, Dave, even before worrying about where to post your ad, the number one thing I have seen are job ads that are generic. Mm. Um, I share the story that when I started my practice and we started to grow and I started to hiring people, I didn't have any experience writing a job ad. I had no idea. So what did I do is I went on, you know, indeed one of these places and I just looked at other people's job ads and I ended up grabbing, it sounds stupid now, but I ended up using and basically copying and just changing my name, a hospital outpatient ad. Now, I had a private practice. My job really had nothing to do from a hospital, but it looked kind of like, okay, this makes sense. So I just copied and pasted it. And what happens is when you have all these generic ads, you don't stand out. And the key right now, because we are in a very competitive field, and by the way, it's not going away. It will be like this for a very, very long time, just because there's not enough therapists out there compared to the number of people that need our help. So this is always going to be a competitive market for sure. So the key is, is how do we stand out? And really focusing on the job ad is the key. Quick story. So I'm working with a client of mine, Susan and Carla, and they own uh, they, this practice, been around for 20 years. And they've had struggling, absolutely struggling finding therapists. Six months, Jane, we can't find anyone. And you know, just the whole story that people say, there's no one out there. We can't find anyone. I said, okay, let me look at your job description. And I look at their job description. It was the same old, same old. We are looking for staff therapists and we are the best and we are, you know, growing and we're like a family app, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. It looks like every other ad out there. And I said, you know what? How about we make it a little more intriguing to the person? I go, think about this. Look at it from their perspective. What is something that is concerning to them? So we can call it, we can call it pain points. Pain points are like fears or worries 
or concerns. So what are their fears? What are their concerns? What's on their mind? Your avatar, your ideal candidate, where are they mentally right now? And lead with that as your first line. Don't lead talking about you. Talk about something that's important to them. They tweet literally the first two lines. Everything else was okay. Then they talk a little bit about some of their values and things like that and, and, and the type of person they're looking for, which is really important as well. But it was that first line that started getting them resumes. And the first line, you want to make it intriguing, right? What do I mean by intriguing? Questions are intriguing. When you ask a question, it's intriguing. When you ask a question around a pain point, it's even more intriguing. For example, what would be, and I'm going to ask you, Dave, because I already know you know this answer. So I'm going to give you a nice little softball. I know we didn't rehearse this and talk about this in the, <laughs> in the, pre, uh, the pre thing, but you know me, off the cuff is my favorite thing. What would be a pain point to a new grad? What would be student, something that's really concerning or important to them? Student loan debt. Student loan debt. Perfect. So a question could be, are you a new grad concerned about your student loan debt? What would be another pain point? What are they interested in, a new grad? Learning, mentorship. You got it. Those are two that typically come up. So are you a new grad ready to embark on your new career, but concerned of extreme school debt? and are looking for mentorship and a place to grow and evolve as a professional, question mark. You see, if I'm going through pretty much 50 resume or 50 uh, job ads, which they are, that one is going to catch my attention. Why? Because it's speaking to the thing that I am concerned with. And when we see something that we're already seeing in our head, we stop and read. So each line of your ad is crafted very meticulously. So the next line starts talking about, well, what type of person would be best fit? So then you start talking about the values. If you are looking for a place like this and you believe in, right, values or beliefs, and you believe in, you could say quality care, but I would justify it a little bit more. You believe in, you know, taking care of folks the right way. You believe in doing what's needed. You believe in, you know, working hard and having fun, whatever your values are. They now are going to connect or maybe not connect with your values as compared to their values. Because here's where things go really off the rail, Dave. They go off the rail when I have these values of what I think patient care is about what I think my practice is about, and I don't communicate them on the ad. And I don't communicate them, and I've had people tell me this, is because I'm afraid they won't agree with them. And if they don't agree with them, they won't apply. Whereas the opposite is actually more important. You see, most small businesses aren't looking for five or 10 people. They're looking for one or two. So you don't need to get quantity of people. I don't believe in that either. I believe in pre-qualifying people to get the quality person. 
So by you putting your values, you have to know what your values are, first of all. By you putting your values into the ad as beliefs, at Schreier Physical Therapy, we believe in this. We believe in this, and we believe in this. If you share in our beliefs, then you might be someone that we want to speak to. Look at the posturing in that. Look at the positioning in that. It's like, we know who we are. And if you share in this, send your resume. You see, if you don't put that, you're not pre-qualifying. And this is a time waste for me. Like if someone doesn't believe in lifelong learning, I believe in lifelong learning. I will never stop learning and growing. I cannot work with people that don't believe in that, including staff. So if you put, we believe in lifelong learning, now when you get to the interview process, you can ask them. And this is one of my favorite interview questions. So Dave, what resonated with you in our job at? What attracted you to this position? Because I know there's a million other people out, a million other ads out there. Go ahead. No, see, I love that question because that is one little qualifier or filter where they're either going to say, oh, it's because of this wording or this phrase. And I, you know, we ask the same type of thing. Or if it's, um, if it's even if it were a patient, you know, clicking on an ad, same type of thing. Like, how did you hear about us and what resonated with you, et cetera. Yeah. So if a candidate can say, oh, because that first line mentioned student loan debt, it caught my attention, whatever. Great. But other candidates are going to say, oh, you know, and kind of just stumble because they just have applied to like 50 places and they're just doing like a volume play and they didn't really, they're not the right fit. So that's like one question of many where you're kind of like almost qualifying, like, are they applying because they were serious about what they read and it resonated with them? Or are they just applying to like every job post? Yeah. And you're exactly right. And you know, when I ask this question, I ask it during the qualification process. I ask it during the phone interview. You see, a phone interview to me is like 10 minutes. The phone interview is designed to look at the resume and ask any questions. Maybe there's gaps in experience or something like that. Or maybe they've had seven jobs in two years, but of course they were a traveling person and now they're looking to settle down. So the phone interview is about asking around the resume, but the question I lead into it, I lead into, hey, what attracted you to our ad? And I just shut up and let them talk. Because if they go, oh, well, you know, I really thought your ad was good. You care about quality care. I'm like, tell me more. What is it about quality care that really resonated with you? Because if your ad is generic, their answers are going to be generic. But in your mind, you might be thinking like they're saying all the things you want to hear. But that's not the case. When you actually put specifics that are uniquely yours, no one has your values, not exactly the way you think of them. No one's going to have that same lead in, that lean in question, right? No one's going to have some of the nuances to you. So when you're asking that question, you're asking, did you actually read this? And what did resonate? Because if they come back to you, Dave, and they say, you know, well, first of all, that question caught my attention because you understand me. You understand that we do have debt and I am looking for mentorship. But what really resonated with me is I also believe in continuous learning and being, you know, a better clinician and a better professional. 
oh, wow, that's, that's great. Now, all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, this person read the ad. They were very specific in what they said attracted to them. I'm absolutely bringing in this person for an interview. And I'm excited about this person. So the questions of the interview, there's definitely a couple of questions I'll share that are key. But if the question doesn't, if your job ad is generic, then the question's going to fall flat. So start with the job. By the way, to finish the story uh, with Susan and Carla. So they changed that part of the ad. They went from literally no candidates for six months. They got three in 10 days and they hired two of them. And I think, you know what? They may have hired a third. I mean, that's how powerful getting your job ad out there. The second thing that I'll share is the interview. Yeah, you can do the generic strengths and weaknesses and type in Google or chat GPT. What questions would you ask somebody? That's fine. I want to know below the surface. I want to know who they are, what their traits, what their characteristics, who they are as a person. Because anytime someone leaves, anytime I've ever had someone leave or ever had someone that caused drama or problem, it wasn't because they weren't skillfully talented as a clinician. It was because the characteristics. It was because we didn't share the same values. We didn't see helping people in the same way. And it's my job as an owner to try to do my best, not perfect, to try to uncover who they are as a person. Here's the motto you want to follow, Dave, you and your, your people listening and watching. Hire for traits, train for skill. Hire for traits, train for skill, which means hire for the people who they are. You can train them on anything out there. There are a million, you know, continuing ed stuff out there, but you cannot change who they are. You certainly can upgrade their ability to treat back pain or their ability to communicate with evaluation or the ability to document. You can train all that. But what if they're just not coachable? Yeah, the, 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 traits, the traits are what they are. They are what they are. You ain't changing them. And what happens is when you are put under a level of pressure, your traits will come out more so, right? They might be great if they're seeing a schedule of one an hour, right? And let's say you, you treat two an hour. But as that schedule goes higher, you will see what they're really about. Are they able to handle things? Do they have, you know, skills around time management and stuff like that? Like, so there are certain things you can ask, but in the second part that I was talking about qualification, can I tell you my favorite interview question? Absolutely. My first favorite is the one, what, what attracted you to her ad, but my favorite interview in person is I got it from a friend of mine who's in the insurance business. And he told me this and I thought it was brilliant. And of course he learned it from somebody else and it's a future-based question. It says, Dave, let's say you came on board here and a year from now, you left. From your vantage point, what most likely would be the reason of why you left? I love it. It's like you're addressing like worst case scenario. It's almost, you know, you're, you're almost pulling out what could be the issues that they might have in the back of their head, but they don't even want to address it or they don't even want to tell you because that would be just awkward. And who's going to say that, right? Yeah. Why, why, why else? Why else is that a good question? So here, here's why it's a, it's a really powerful question. 
because it reveals what's most important to them. It also reveals what's possibly going on in their life. I'll give you two examples. I asked this question to, to a therapist, physical therapist coming on board. And her response was, well, I don't know about a year from now, but two years from now, the only thing I would say that I would leave was because if my husband got transferred to Germany or something like that, because he's in the military. Now I just learned that, A, she's married. Didn't know that. Didn't ask that, obviously. I learned that husband's in the military. That's kind of interesting. Gives me something more to talk to her. And that there is a chance that he could be transferred. So it gives me a lot of perspective of what's going on in her life. So then we talked a little bit about that. Fast forward, three years later, that's actually what happened. But it was great. I'd take her for three years. She was awesome. The other thing it, it does is lets you know their values. So I have had people say, and this is a kind of a semi-common one, say, well, if I didn't feel appreciated, if I didn't feel recognized for my work. Now think about this. This person is telling you that recognition, appreciation, and gratitude is important to them. So does your place have that in place? And hopefully, not only does it have something like that in place, but that's a part of your job ad. Hey, we believe in recognizing and rewarding our staff. We have bonus systems. We have this and we have that. We also believe in gratitude. We get to do this every single day with our people. We get to work together and help other people. Like if you put that in, this type of person is going to be all over that ad because we know there's a lot of people that are just working, hit the numbers, make the money, but there's no true appreciation and gratitude. And I think when people talk about this idea of work-life balance, which don't even get me started with that, but this idea of being rewarded and recognized and, and feeling appreciated is huge. And that leads me into this idea of money. Yes, people want to be paid fairly, but I've had people stay at jobs with myself as well as clients of mine, make less money because they felt it was a better fit that was part of what they believed in and being appreciated and valued and having a community in a sense and having a trusting place is more important than just a few dollars more. Hmm. What would you say? I'm, I'm sure that the audience of practice owners, PTs, therapists are thinking the same thing. So if you ask that, or if you were to ask that, or if your clients were to ask that question to a potential candidate and the candidate said, well, the only reason why I might leave in the next year or two is if I don't have a raise in my salary or am bonus for the value that I've provided or for the productivity, whatever it might yeah. be. So maybe it's about, it's directly about money. Like they're just saying like, Hey, I would leave if I don't get a three, four, five, six, whatever percent raise each year. Or if yeah. they say, cause ideally we're looking for someone who we would give a raise to if there's value or if there's, you know, something to substantiate that. But what would you say to a candidate or what would you say to a practice owner who has a candidate that would say, I'm going to leave in a year or two if I am not compensated or have a, a raise each year? Yeah. So I have shared these interview questions with hundreds of people. 
And they have asked this question with thousands of candidates. Not one person has ever said that, at least the feedback that I got. Oh, wow. Okay. The way they will say it, they'll say it in appreciation and recognition and reward. They'll use those terms, right? Or they'll say it in, you know, some type of, if there wasn't advancement, upward growth. So one of the things that I suggest and that I teach our clients is how to dive deeper into those types of responses. So when someone says, well, Jamie, you know, I'd want to be really recognized, rewarded and appreciated for the work I do. And I go, I think that's great. Can you be more specific? Like, give me an example of that. Once I get where they're going, then I can say, I totally get it. Would it be okay to share how we reward and compensate our people? Well, yeah, now we're talking money because that's what's interested in them. So I'm like, well, here's where we are now. So here's our sample compensation. So I always recommend you have at very minimum, you have a job description and you have a sample offer letter during your in-person interview because you want to be able to show them some, not just talk, show them what your thing is about and start that conversation. If this isn't at the beginning of the interview, more at the end, if you feel like they're a good fit, but you start describing, well, what is your upward growth? Well, here's another thing, Dave, I can't tell you how many companies I work with. And they're like, we don't really have one. It's like, well, if you talk about value as an upward growth and professional advancement, and you don't have anything other than a director that you're in as a director, because no one's going to be above you. So you're the owner, director, and you're a part-time therapist. Then you need to create a greater ascension model. You need to create a model where there's more growth, which means you need to grow your company, which means you need to get out of some of these positions that other people can fill. If not, you're going to be talking both ends of your, of your mouth, right? So, but let's say you do have that. Then you can describe, well, we provide training. And we provide, you know, not just CEUs clinically, but we provide professional training and we provide opportunities as directors and CIs and senior therapists and whatever else that you have. We also have advances in, um, in money. So every position has its own unique uh, salary and bonus system. We also have money for this. Like you then have the opportunity to start describing this. But you need to have this already outlined. Even if you don't have it today, if it's something that you want, you could say something like, so Dave, that's a great question. And we actually are in in a process right now of developing more of an upward growth model. So we're looking for people that not only want to join our team, but help us develop this as we do this. Mm -hmm. Now they're like, wow, I'm going to actually be developing my next level positions and the compensation and everything else. Here's the thing. Here's the take home for the people. Don't back away from these conversations, especially conversations around money. Lean into it. Be prepared with it. If you're not prepared with it, get prepared. This is part of our job. Get clear about where your business is going. Get clear about what your values are and how your company supports those values. Just saying a value and not having the plan in place is BS and people are going to call you out on it. 
But when you say your values like learning and growth and and being really the, the, the best in our area, well, so what's the plan for that? Get people to see and feel what you're about. That will separate you from everybody else. Yeah, love that. You mentioned work-life balance. In the fairly recently, I had a physical therapist, as I was reflecting back on the initial interview process, mentioned health and wellness and work-life balance several times. That's fine. You know, like health and wellness, mentally, physically, uh, vitally important for me. I mean, I get it. They came on full-time. They were doing great. Worked for two months and then submitted that two-week resignation. And um, I'm still in that process with my coach, Sturdy McKee, in regards to, you know, having a better place, a better process and plan in place to kind of identify some of these things. You mentioned work-life balance. Give me your thoughts on it. With today's candidates, with today's physical therapists, staff members, admin, whatever it might be, you mentioned work-life balance. Well, what about it? Well, work-life balance makes as much sense to me as the word leadership. You tell me what leadership is, and I'll give you 50 other people that describe it differently. You tell me what work-life balance is to you, and I'll give you 50 other people that describe it differently. Anytime there's vagueness in terms, right? Even if it's clear to us, it is time to ask deeper questions back to get clear on what it means to them. Because I don't know. So when I show up in an interview, same way as I showed up with, you know, when I was working with patients and showed up in a new evaluation, I try to show up as what Buddhists call a beginner's mind. I try to show up in a place of curiosity, which helps me not jump to what I think they're saying. Because if I'm wrong, I'm in trouble. And I don't know if you did this. It sounds like maybe you didn't do this. But next time, I'm sure you will. But I'd be like, yeah, I understand. Work-life balance is so important to so many people. What does it mean for you? And you ask that open-ended curiosity question. You're not asking them to try to get them to say something. You're not asking them, definitely don't ask them why. Well, why do you want that? That will always create defensiveness. But you're asking them to help define it. Because frankly, they may not know. It might just be a word that they were told, the word that they used, and the word that they use when they just don't want something. The person didn't want to stay with you. Work-life balance. Yeah, but what's specific? Because this doesn't help you. I mean, you want to use this as a learning thing. This doesn't help you. How can you better qualify people? Because you don't want to waste their time, and you certainly don't want to waste yours. So it's asking a deeper question. It's the same thing with some of these other terms out there. Leadership, culture is another one. Ask people what culture is. You'll get a hundred different things. So the key is, is not get so caught up in the term, but to get clear on what it is to them. The other thing is, um, and I share this with people that saying, okay, do you believe in a healthy well-being culture? Okay. Yes, I do. So what are you doing for that? Well, we give time off. Okay, great. So does everybody else. Do you give extended time off? Do you give three or four weeks where the average person gets two? That would be a unique thing that other people don't. So some people start to think about that and saying, you know, you're right. You know what? We're going to give gym memberships or we'll give money towards a gym membership. Think about this. You want to talk about someone saying, hey, Dave, you know, I really believe in 
and and life work balance and and a healthy oh that's great tell me more what that means to you would you like to know how we are addressing this well one of the things that we offer because we believe that if you are physically better you are mentally better and you'll show up and help people better we actually offer $40 towards a gym membership you do yes I mean, think about it from a financial standpoint, it's 500 bucks a year. But the fact that you already have something like that, that you connected to something that's important to them. See, that breeds like, wow, nobody else is doing this. This is really cool. I can trust them. They have my best interest in mind. And that's what you're building here. You're building that trust. But of course, you're building it with the people that have the right traits that you want. To do it for the wrong people is going to end in disaster anyways. Right. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. Love it. And, and you're right. No, I didn't. I did not ask that individual early on. How do they define work-life balance? And, and obviously, I will do so moving forward. But you're right. Terms, these terms that we hear or that we all use sometimes, you're right that there's different definitions depending on that person and, and their situation, their life experience, whatever it might be. So if we can... If we can dig down as to how we can ask follow-up questions to get them to give more background or more detail as to what do they mean by that or why it's important to them so that we can kind of understand where they're coming from. And then, like you said, maybe then present, okay, we actually have already solved for this. Here, Here's the things as part of our compensation package or benefits or additional perks, whatever it might be, like the gym, the gym membership program. I want to touch, before we finish up, I want to touch on the onboarding, and I want to touch on retention, both really vital for this whole process. So onboarding with you, your clients, do you have a 30, 60, 90 day or 100 day plan in regards to weeklies or one yeah, on one yeah. so, so again, we, we, have, we have recruiting, qualifying, onboarding, and training. I purposely separated onboarding and training because I learned this from friends of mine who are in bigger companies, bigger companies have HR departments. We don't. So when they're onboarding someone, the HR person is doing all of the paperwork, making sure that you're updated on payroll, making sure that you're credentialed, making sure that you have your your name tag and your email and all these other things that pretty much anybody that's an employee needs. That's onboarding. To me, an onboarding is a checklist. Like I just have a checklist. Here are the things. Training is different. Training is specific. You're going to train a front desk person different than you're going to train a therapist. The onboarding for both of those people is going to be relatively the same, except maybe credentialing will go with the therapist. But everything else is kind of the same. So training, you absolutely want to have a calendar, right? So the calendar might look like, Day one, day two, day three, week one, week two, first 30 days, 60 days, 90. Within 90 days, for the most part, you should have someone onboarded, trained, and successful. What I mean by successful, they are actually achieving the results of the position as you laid out. You mean the targets and everything else that you want. So it's your job then to say, if the outcome is a therapist who has actually 
achieving the results, whatever those key metrics are for you, then you work backwards and you ask the question, what do they need to know, be able to do or perform and be able to communicate? And you ask that on day one. What's the most important thing you want to do on day one? Now, for most people, it might be do some of the onboarding stuff, but then it might be observing some clients or it might be learning our uh, software, EMR software. Day two, same thing. What's important? By the end of the first week, by the end of the first week, our therapists will be able to, and you literally have a checklist of what they'll be able to do. What does this do? A, it creates a clear picture that they're going to know what they're going to be able to do. Number two, because all of this is in a calendar, other people, not just the owner, other people can help. Who can help them learn the uh, EMR system? Or maybe they have a link and they reach out to tutorials or whatever it is. So they're now clear on what is expected. And then you can delegate different tasks to different people and put, you know, this is due by the end of the week. And then they can figure out when it happens. I don't believe, just because I don't like to overly micromanage people, I don't believe like setting out every hour of their day. That's just kind of exhausting for me, right? I'd rather just set the expectations. By the end of the day, this is what you should have done. And if not, do it by day two. And if not, you definitely need to have this done by the first week. Now everyone's clear on what's done by the first week. So that's how I teach and do myself the training. It prevents people from saying, and I've heard this, Dave, I've heard this literally from every single person I've ever worked with, interviewed, analyzed their business. I was never told that. I never was trained on that. Because you know I've done leadership training and we could talk about what leadership is maybe on another episode, but I've done that type of training for people's staff. And where I start with it is I always start with confusion. Where is their confusion? And it always starts right at the beginning during the interview process and the onboarding and training. They were never told this. They were never trained on this. And that created the problems moving forward. So... If you can fix your onboarding and training process, you're going to increase your retention. So your retention, a lot of times, comes from what you're setting the stage in your onboarding. Other than that, retention, a lot of times, comes from recognition, reward, gratitude, upward growth, giving a people a reason why to be a part of your company, which means you have to continue to grow and elevate yourself. If you're like, no, we're not growing. We just want to maintain. Then you're going to hire people that don't want to grow because the other people are going to leave. So our job is we have to continue to grow and evolve for the very sake that our people need something to grow and evolve with. Mm. That's my thoughts around retention. So as long as the the onboarding and the training process overcomes the normal speed bumps of if there's confusion, if, if the process is convoluted, then there could be confusion in the first three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, where it'll be harder to retain some of these folks because maybe the process was not laid out in a clear fashion. Well, yeah. What, one of two things happen. These people stay, but they don't operate at a high level. 
And there are people that they could be the right fit. So they stay with you, but eventually they're going to get frustrated, especially if you kind of say, well, you need to be achieving these levels of metrics and you're not achieving. And if you start getting on them, but they were never actually told what this was. They were never trained on this what on this stuff. They're going to get frustrated and leave. So yes, that's a big part of retention. You know, a, a motto that we have is confused people don't. Confused people don't take action. Confused people don't buy your services. Confused people do not show up regularly. Confused people do not produce. So if you're if you have a, a process that actually is creating confusion, you're not going to get the most out of your staff. They're not going to get the most out of themselves. And they'll either leave or worse, they'll stay and just kind of do the minimum. So it's up to the owner to address these things. And when the owner does this, you create an unbelievable practice, success, money, time, Everyone's doing their thing. I mean, it really just is amazing what happens. But you can't grow without good people. And you can't attract good people without you putting some time and attention on this. If an owner was watching or listening, obviously, if they had a coach like you or one of your coaches, they could obviously ask you know, for feedback. But if they don't have a business coach, like could they or should they ask one of their senior therapists or maybe a partner in the, in the practice to review the onboarding and the training part and see like, Hey, is this, let's evaluate this. Let's, you know, is this convoluted? Is this not clear? Is this transparent? Is it as simple and straight to the point as possible? Like how could someone that's watching or listening evaluate or reevaluate their onboarding and training? First of all, you have to understand this hiring process. So if you already have a hiring process, but it's not producing what you want, then yes, you want to review, we call it debriefing. You want to review each of the areas and say, well, are we having problem getting good resumes in? If that's the problem, your job post is the issue. Are we getting good people in, but we're losing them during the interview process? Okay, then it might be some things in the interview or it could be compensation or your compensation package or selling them on the vision of your company. If we're doing both of those and we're getting which what we think is good people, but like in your case, we're losing them in the first few months, which happens, then I would go back and see where were their yellow flags? Where were their red flags? And in your case, the flag was really more of, I could ask a few more questions on that. And that probably would have brought up some things that led down a different path. Maybe you still would have hired them, but it would have been on a different, or maybe you wouldn't have. And then of course, If people are not producing, like if you're not profitable, if you're not busy with patients and have a humming practice going along, then I would question your training for sure. So if you have that, then you want to review. A lot of people don't even have those things. They're not even sure. If that's the case, if that's the case, and if it's okay, I just kind of plug this because this is just probably the best course that we have is we have a course called Right Fit Hire. It's very inexpensive. But it outlines all four of these components and exactly what you need to do, but it's flexible enough for you to do it in your own style. So it's, it's typically like $497, but I know for your group, I'm willing to, to offer it for $297. This right here will save you tens of thousands of dollars. So I would start in just getting 
that course to know how to create a better ad, how to put your ad in all different, I give you like nine or 10 different places you can put your ad. What interview questions to ask? What follow-up interview questions to ask? How to become prepared? How to do a checklist? I have all kinds of scripts and checklists for you. How to create a training program? Once you have kind of the materials and the tools, now you're able to shape it into your own hiring process. So I would, I would do that. Or if someone else has a program, that's fine too. Just get clear on what this is about first and then do the homework of putting it in place. That's where I would begin. Yeah. Biggest learning, biggest takeaway for me so far is uh, with candidates that we're still interviewing and speaking with every single day, every single week is, um, and I want to thank you for this. So asking if they're going to say terms, health, health and wellness, work-life balance, culture, morale, I don't, whatever, compensation, advancement, value. What were some of the other words that they might hint at for compensation? You said value or... Um, yeah, uh, they'll, say, they'll say growth, reward, recognition, appreciation. They'll, they'll yeah. use those terms, but it's money. Yeah, And you know what? If you have good rapport, Dave, you can flat out say, so if we just didn't pay you really much at all, you'd stay? Like, <laughs> right. I said that just to break the ice. They're like, well, no, I, I want to be fairly compensated. I said, good, because you deserve to be fairly compensated. Like, you know, don't hide behind it. Right. Especially if you know that your pricing structure is not to the level of some of your competitors out there. If you know it's not at the level, I wouldn't hide behind it. I would reinforce the things of what makes you different. So, but yes, those are some of the terms that they may use. Uh, when they mean make sure I'm paid well. Yeah. And um, we didn't go into it too deeply, but in terms of like the the onboarding and the training, the new therapist, the, everyone, front desk person, everyone understands their KPIs, their key performance indicators, all that. There's only so much we can cram into one talk because we're talking about recruiting and qualifying <laughs> and interviewing and then onboarding and training. So it's really, it, it is a big, it's not just hiring. I mean, hiring is like the umbrella term, but it's like, there's a lot of steps in here. Yes. Um, why don't we just maybe last final takeaway, final thoughts on this whole process? And you know, of course, we could always have you come back in the future, but any final uh, either tips or, or takeaways or just a closing statement for this whole process for practice owners out there? Yes. Number one, have a hiring process. Number one, just have a hiring process of at least the four components that we talked about, the recruiting process, the qualification process, the onboarding and training. Just have a process in place and start fleshing out the different steps. Number two, review your ad and add some intrigue into the beginning of your ad. If you don't change anything else in your ad, that's fine. Add intrigue in the beginning. And secondly, that's, that, speaks to, that speaks to the candidates. That speaks to the candidates, right? What are their concerns, worries, or fears? What do they want? What are their desires? Do that, you'll get more bites. Secondly, into your ad, make sure that you include your values and say this exact thing at, fill in the name of your company, at blank physical therapy. We believe in and list what you believe in. So they can share in those beliefs. Because that'll attract or repel candidates. It'll attract the right Correct. candidates and it'll repel the wrong candidates. Correct. So those two things in your ad, I promise you, 
if it's getting, if it's in front, I mean, it has to be in front of your ideal target. If it's in front of your ideal target, I will promise you it will get more interest. So if you don't learn anything else that we talked about today and you're like, oh my God, Jamie, you're all over the place. If you didn't learn anything, start with that and you will, you will be on your way. Awesome. What's a good place for the audience to reach out to you? I, they could probably connect with you uh, on LinkedIn or your website or email address or, or a place where they can also check out that course. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in the course, definitely go to the course, the practice freedom use slash right fit higher. I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. But, um, you know, other than that, yeah, you can connect with me on, on LinkedIn, just, you know, at Jamie Schreier is fine. You can go to our website, practice freedom U, the letter U. We have lots of resources, downloads and stuff like that. So that's where I would start. Do you want to reach out to me? And you can always message me. I'm very responsive. That's one of my core values, being responsive. So um, feel free to reach out. Happy to help any way I can. Excellent. And I don't get any commission on that course. We don't want it. I don't want it at all. Jamie, that's all on them. But I really appreciate your time, your value, your experience coming on here and reviewing what has helped you over the years. And then also what helps your your clients and your practice owners across the country or across North America. So Jamie, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate what you're doing out there and helping people. So thank you. Excellent. And to the audience, if you like this, find it valuable, subscribe on YouTube, rate, review it, and check us out also on iTunes or Spotify. We'll catch you next time here on the Dave Kittle Show. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.